Cappuccino with Constable Brian. Real people, real stories. So my guest today for the Cappuccino podcast has possibly the longest intro and that's just full credit to her because that's the caliber of guest she is. So it's actually, I don't know if she, she knows this or not, but it's actually... 30 years to the day since the 1991 Women's Rugby World Cup kicked off. Wow. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So, <laughs> Slightly scary. Yeah, I know, yeah. Good thing you're only seven. Uh, born in Timaru, the most capped black fern uh, with 54 matches unofficially for a wee while there. She was a member of the 91, 98, 2002, 2006, 2010 Rugby World Cup team. In 2005, she got Queen's Birthday Honours and she was awarded an MNZM. In November 2014, she was in- inducted into the IRB Hall of Fame. Uh, she's a New Zealand Touch rep. She's a uh, women's blues coach. She's the national rep for the Canterbury, or Nash was a netball rep for Canterbury and South Canterbury and Auckland. She was an agency tennis champ for South Canterbury. She was the NZRFU Player of the Year in 2004. She's been an international sevens captain. She was the New Zealand University Sports Person Year uh, in 2007, and I'm only halfway there, here we go. Uh, member of the New Zealand Sports Tribunal in 2008-2010. She was an Auckland Storm player from 89 to 2008, and captain in 90, 92, 93, 97, 98, 01, 02, and 03. The team was undefeated from 1994 until 2005. She was the elite women's sevens coach in Hong Kong. Uh, she's now the women's players development officer at the at the Auckland Rugby Union, but for the New Zealand Rugby Union, we'll talk some more about that in a second. She's been the women's barbers coach, she's got a Bachelor of Law, a Bachelor of Arts, she's got a postgrad diploma in sports coaching and management, and she's current member of the NZRU High Performance Women's Coaching Development Group. She's only one of a handful of players to have played in four Rugby World Cup finals and played in all 80 minutes in each, although the last one was a bit shaky to be fair, I thought you were going off. and. I don't know if you know this or not, but she was the very last active test player anywhere in the world who has a four-point try on their CV. Yeah, I knew that one. <laughs> so it's a big welcome to Anna Richards. Jeez, where do you go with that? Take a breath. Yeah, I know, it's a bit like that, eh? Yeah. So, speed round. Um, I don't know if you've heard it or not before, but uh, I do a speed round dedicated to speed, the world's greatest police movie. So rapid-fire questions to start off with. Best rugby player you've ever played for? Oh, sorry, best player, rugby player you've ever played with or against is who? Rochelle Martin. Oh, snap. She's going to love you for that. Right, because uh, she said you. She's uh, a great girl. Yeah. Last book you read was what? Oh, um, uh, I can't remember the name, but it was something like Keeping My Daughter. It was about a Jewish mother and daughter surviving in Europe. There you go. If you could... Do your career over again, but in a different code to rugby, but with all the accolades, what sport would it be and why? Um, it'd either be uh, golfing or tennis. One, I, I play tennis, um, uh, golf, and both of them are in summer, and I really like summer. Oh, there you go. The best sports movie of all time is what? Oh, um, draft day. There you go. Right. Do you collect anything? I used to collect money. <laughs> <laughs> I was a numismatician. Um, and more recently, I've been collecting army helmets. Oh, there you go. All right. Uh, 
superstitions when you played or in life have you got any no there you go uh what drives anna richards nuts wow um uh, shit talk <laughs> yeah. well we'll talk about that a little bit later on because there's a few referees who think that you were very good at that in your day as well so so yeah now you're i'm pretty much what i'm going to do is i'm going to ask you some of the same questions i asked rochelle martin just to see we get some perspective oh, on it no. so your rugby playing career was kind of a little bit of an accident a little bit like hers right when you first got started and yours involves your law lecturer if that's correct right yep. do you want to tell us the story about how you got introduced into rugby so i i used to play a lot of netball and i when i was growing up there was no rugby at school etc and i was up at canterbury university and i played for canterbury netball and the lovely lady um claire uh, Mrs. O'Reilly, I'll call her now. <laughs> great, she, she may be girl, listening. Great yeah. girl. But um, uh, she dropped me from the Canterbury Netball team, and her husband was my law lecturer, family law lecturer, and he asked me to come along and watch rugby, which was his euphemism for come along, I'm going to throw you on the field <laughs> without a mouth guard and without boots and have fun. And that's how I started. Rocking. Now, you've had a sports career that most sports people, male or female, rugby players or not would absolutely die for just due to the level of success that you've achieved what do you put it down to if i said to you what what's the the x factor in this what would you say it is look i i was good at working hard and um i think growing up in timaru and playing for south canary gave me a healthy disregard for losing because <laughs> we used to lose quite a bit when you played for south canary and i hated it and I hated losing and I got up to Canterbury and started winning a bit and, and I found that I really loved it, <laughs> loved winning and I just wanted that to continue and to be able to keep winning you've got to work hard. Yeah, not wrong and you, I have a reputation as being one of the hardest trainers I've heard about male or female even now when I say to people, oh they're like, man she used to train hard, she used to smash it. Um, Sports runs in your family's genes. You've got sisters that are sports reps. Obviously, Fee was a black fan. Um, Penny was an athletics rep. Yep. Um, here's the $64 million question. Which side of the family does it come from? See, that's a tough one because my mum played a lot of netball. Yep. And my dad was a hunter-gatherer, fisher, mountain climber. So I kind of think we got it from both. Yeah, there you go. All right. So from an outsider's view... Uh, and a, an early Blackfern's ally, which I'm going to call myself, you and the rest of the team often got treated as second-class citizens. Right, Rochelle gave us a great example of how you were meant to be playing the Wallaroos in 1995 uh, before the ABs game at Eden Park and it rained and you guys got pushed out to a muddy bog in Waitakere. What's one of the worst... Ex and I know that all of you girls can do this because I've had this conversation with you. What's the worst? one of the worst examples you can remember of being treated poorly as a female rugby player? Um, I'll give you a great example of, and this was probably my last, well, it was my last year playing rugby. We were at the 210 World Cup, and you'd think going to a pinnacle event, the NZAU would be organised. And we arrived there, and they hadn't ordered the jerseys properly. So they only had three black sets. They usually go to World Cup with five sets. Yeah. Right, five black and sorry, six sets. So five black because you got five 
possible games if you're playing in the final and you have an alternate strip six. So uh, they forgot to order properly. So they had three black sets that actually fitted us. Hmm, okay. And properly. And then they had a fourth black set that didn't fit us at all and it had really random shorts, like different, differently yeah. made shorts. And then we had a white set that fitted everyone properly. So we had five sets. Um, uh, so we got to the third game, we are playing Wales, and they gave the juicies out and none of the juicies fitted people. And the girls were going, well, what should we do? And they said, well, go go to the girls who played the previous games with that number and borrow their sh- T-shirt, which mm. is just a no Yeah, it's a sacrosanct. Because yeah. that's your World Cup yeah. shirt. You, you just don't hand it out willy-nilly. And so I ended up playing, and like, funny enough, I was in number 21 for that game. And I was in like a 3XL shirt, it was massive. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so anyway, so we got to the semi-final, we played France and we played in our alternate strip. And I don't think anybody ever realises we played it that because that was the only strip we had. Hmm. There you go. And to save the black strip for the final if we made the final. Shocking. So yeah. What do you think now when you can go into a sports store and buy a Black Ferns jersey? Does well, it irk you or not? Because I know some representatives for our country look at it and go, not just black ferns, but everything, you know, like, no, nah, you shouldn't be able to buy them, you've got to wear them. Nothing's great. Cool. Yeah, yeah. go for it. I want to see more people wearing black ferns jerseys. Nice. All right, that's my first Christmas uh, Christmas request then. All right, so um, now your era of black ferns just narrowly, and this is the question that you always get, missed out on the professional era. Do you get bitter and twisted when you think about how much you could be getting paid now? Uh, or would you rather be part of that incredible legacy uh, that you and um, Martin and the Codlingtons and the Palmers and the Walls, etc., etc., are? Yeah. Well, look, don't get me wrong, I love money. <laughs> yeah. And rugby did cost me an arm and a leg, um, nearly literally. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, no, I'd never change because it's always going to change in the future so I'm very happy where, when and where and who I played with. Alright, do you think because you being a rugby, rugby development officer now, do you think that you would survive as a professional player given the demands of the modern game? Mate, I'd survive. <laughs> I knew you were. There's, I knew you'd back yourself. No, there are demands but they're just exactly what they used to be but they're getting paid. Paid for it, boom, there we go. I knew that was going to be coming. Uh, is it funny to go into a dressing room or a coaching session and know that you are being viewed in the same eyes as maybe people that you and I used to look up to, sort of like Jock Hobbs and Hickory and Fit the Fitzpatricks and the Shelfords? Is that, does that, is that kind of eerie when you do that? Yeah, it's kind of disquieting, <laughs> to be honest. And a little, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable. One of my girls in the HPU said to me yesterday, oh my God, Anna, I was reading about you and you're 56. <laughs> she goes, I thought you were in your 40s, thank you very much. And I was like, yeah, I, I've been there, done that. <laughs> nice, good work. In 2008, there were a lot of current black firms who acknowledged and you all guys, you basically all you received your caps from the NZRFU. Not only was it the 20th anniversary of the black firms, but what was that like? Was that like the closing of the door on your legacy because I've watched the ceremony and like lots of the people uh, are almost in tears here which you should be because you did you guys have done an, an amazing thing but was it like the closing of the door to that sort of era and the moving on now here we go to the professional era or did you not see it as that no I mean there was 218 and 
and I think the NZAU had been planning it for a while yep. and it, we weren't far behind the guys getting their caps mm-hmm. and the boys have been playing for a lot longer than yep. us so it wasn't as if we were an afterthought we were just a natural progression that's how I like to see it anyway yeah. um, and it coincided with the 20th anniversary of the first World Cup we won in 98 so it was kind of a, a nice way to kick it off I think um, I'm hoping they finished so, um, well they said three years so 90 years so yeah, it can't be too far COVID yeah. got in the way a little yeah. bit yeah. Um, but yeah it was wonderful and those people I hadn't seen for so long it was yeah. so cold and some of them richly deserved yeah uh, what did you think when you finally got that cap on your head? <laughs> um, About time, been there and done that, or no? It was wasn't ever something that I was hanging out for. Yeah, it's just a nice addition, yeah. but wasn't something that was ever gonna change Rocky anything. Now you and a number of the legacy black fans, as I'm calling them, uh, often go and present jerseys or provide motivation for the current black fan team. What's it like walking into a room and knowing? that you've got 22-year-olds going, whoa, she's a rugby legend. I mean, uh, when I spoke to Rochi about it, she sort of said, you know, there's sometimes you walk in and you feel really old and decrepit, but she said by the time you've finished talking to them and you've given the jerseys out, you're like, where's my jersey? I can run out on the field and give it a crack. <laughs> yeah, like I, I still miss playing hugely. Yeah. Um, it was so much fun. It's not so much fun being a coach now mm-hmm. <laughs> as playing, but... It's always nice to reconnect with the black friends, and, and in my job now, I'm lucky enough to know, you know, have a few black friends in in, in the HPU. So um, it's always lovely reconnecting, and you can see the passions there. And I mean, I like I like being involved. Yeah. Do you think that was the thing that set you guys apart more than a lot of other teams was the fact that you were doing it for love, and you were doing it for passion? And like so many of you girls, like. When we were coaching the Aru College rugby team, for instance, you know, we'd get maybe one or two of you just turning up just because you happened to be in the neighbourhood and you wanted to sort of chuck a ball around and have a bit of fun. It's not something that you get, and no disrespect because we know that they're busy, you get some of the All Black, the Karen All Blacks doing because, um, do you think it was just the passion or do you think it was the internal drive? Look, I honestly think it's the same with any sport that has problems with funding. You know, it's not just because we stood out. It's it's the same with probably kayaking. It's the same with any other sport that's got very little funding. And you tend to basically put your hand up to help out because that's how the sport gets better. Yeah, not wrong. Um, When you cast your mind back to your playing days, and I remember looking at some of your trading manuals when you were still playing and going, you're doing what in the week? Holy hell. Uh, what What did your training for a week look like in a rugby world cup year let's go on let's go on not off season but on well it depended like 98 world cup i was playing touch for new zealand as well yeah i remember playing an australian um series against australia and finishing the test match against australia jumping in the car and hooning over with um uh, tammy wilson and susie shortland and those girls to play a trial yeah so you know, we, we just fit it in, you do two, I, I only ever probably did two gym sessions, I was more fitness than yeah. tin based. Yeah, <laughs> functional <laughs> fitness this day. <laughs> Look, I, I, I hit my markers, but I never exceeded my markers in the gym, that's as long as I hit my markers. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you do a couple of those, I did at least fitness every day, 
I, I never really had a day off. Yeah. So you one or two, and then you'd play as well. And so, yeah. What do you think, $64 million question, what do you think makes a champion? Any sport? I think it's, one, you've got to love, love it. Yeah. And two, you've got to have inner drive. So, because you have days where you just don't want to. Yeah. It's raining, anything like that, and you just do it anyway. Yeah. It's the ability to to do it anyway. Who was the sports person that you idolised as a kid? Oh. Yeah, you can't say Rochelle Martin because I know that, yeah. <laughs> That's a tough one. I know. Like I used to, used to watch the ABs a lot. Um, well, that's probably the only sport that I ever saw on TV. Yeah. So I suppose the, the All Blacks, you know, Colin Meads yeah. was amazing. Brian Williams. My mum loved Brian Williams' legs. Bless, yeah. <laughs> well, I like it. Whatever flights you made, I was quite interested in the tries of his scoring, so that's all good. <laughs> now, 92-93, you're at a Blackfern, Blackfern's training camp and you are told for the first time ever that you're going to be paid the whopping sum of $5 a day for a three-day training camp. So that's a total of $15, if my maths is correct. Rumour is that you banked it and still have it. True? Look, I was talking about this the other day, and I can't remember. I'm pretty sure we got it in cash. In <laughs> but I know that that night they took us out, and we discovered there was um, money on the bar, and, and we smashed it in about <laughs> yeah. an hour. We always were careful to make sure we used all the money, but yeah, yeah. It, was, it, was a, it was a watershed day. Yeah, good. Yeah, so that's probably you don't have the $15 to be fair. Then. <laughs> no. no. In 1991, when the IRB wasn't sanctioning the Women's Rugby World Cup, you guys had to pay your own way to Wales, and then you just had one set of jerseys, and then you add to the fact that, that you, you got together as a team just the day before. Were you a little bit worried at that stage that it's sort of, it's a bit like Dad's army here, you know, we've got sort of band-aids going everywhere and that type of stuff, or do you think, no, let's, we'll just do what Kiwis do best, where we just put the shoulder to the wheel and give it our best shot? Look, I mean, none of us had ever been to a World Cup. We, we had done the uh, World Festival the year before when a lot of teams had come out to New Zealand, and that was the first time we'd really, well, that was the first time we'd played an international match. 1990 we had reasonable success we beat the states who were yep. up there um, and then from there we really pushed we wanted to make the world cup um, we obviously had to pay i think somewhere between five and seven thousand dollars to get over there mm -hmm. and because of the cost we were really serious yeah you know, it cost us a lot of money cost us a lot of time and we were we didn't go over there thinking well we were going to lose we wanted to give it a good go so yeah we were pretty serious now you were pretty serious but sadly we lost to america yep uh do you think that you guys would have gone to on to achieve what you'd achieved if you had won that first rugby world cup or not i think it's all a learning process and it was just where we were at at that time you know the states had a lot of more experienced players i think Probably the fact that the NZAU would not allow us to go to the second World Cup in Edinburgh in '94 yeah. was a was a big moment because yeah. I'm not sure if I would have continued playing, and but that really pissed me off. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> I kind of that I was like, stuff this. I'm gonna. Have. But it was a it was a trade off to have now the NZAU funding everything. Yeah. So I hung in there to '98 because I wanted to play in the next World Cup to win. 
and then we won and then it was like oh shucks yeah yeah yeah. so yeah i'm gonna stick around for another couple of years (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah Uh, so if you could change one rule of rugby what would it be and why because you get lots of experts sitting there and going you know if they change this rule if they did this the game would get faster or anything else and obviously there's lots of considerations you've got to take in your tv audiences and everything else but what's the one rule that you'd, you'd change i suppose i mean i was up in hong kong and i and i um coach sevens for a, a time up there and the one big rule is the um yellow card rule and when you can get back on the field because one i think they give far too many yellow cards and sevens yeah um, and you're not just off for two minutes, you tend to be off for over four mm. because you can only come back on when there's a break of play. So I would make it that on the two minutes you can enter the field from under your goalposts. Nice. There you go. That's <laughs> all right. Right, so the Rugby World, World, sorry, Women's Rugby World Cup in 2022, meant to be this year, but obviously there's something else going on, um, is going to be a big ask for the Black Ferns who are in front of a home crowd. Um, there's going to be lots of travelling and everything else, and it's probably also going to be maybe the the most major sporting event that we actually hold when we're all COVID free. Hear me. Um, what do you think? Will, who do you think will be the teams to look out for, and what do you think is going to be the biggest hurdle for the Black Ferns to win the World Cup again? Yeah, I, I suppose one you, the two big rivals are obviously going to be England and France. Yep. Those are the people they've tripped up on the last few years. I think the biggest hurdle is that there's been no international matches for the Black Ferns since 2019, and that's yep. June 2019. Yep. So they're hoping to maybe have some at the end of this year. Again, that's very up in the air. Yep. So it's more basically getting into the swing of things, getting international matches under their belt. I think that's the big one. Yeah. Now, do you think that perhaps more than the All Blacks, the legacy that you and the Martins and the Codlings and everybody else has created, or that you did create through your sort of playing days, has created a pressure for the current team um, that they have to live up to? I mean, you guys, to be fair, you've got more of a winning record than the All Blacks have. So do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing for the current team that they've got this legacy of, or this culture of winning that they, they've got to sort of adhere to because that's what has been and that's what's been before? Uh, look, I'm not going to say it's a bad thing. Yeah. Because sometimes the culture of the winning will make you win a game that you possibly may lose. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think you need to have a culture of excellence as well. So as as long as that's a driver, but you know anybody who's in the team now, they've got to drive their own culture. Mm. So it's up to them. So we may have a legacy, but I don't think the ABs now look at what the All Blacks of the you know the Invincibles did. No, because it's their legacy now, and they're just adding to the legacy of the Jersey. And in a sad but true story, I actually had a police officer come up to me the other day who didn't know who Sean Fitzpatrick was. That's how old we're getting in. Anyway, uh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. So, um, your career finished when? When when was your last official game? Can you remember? Um, I think it was in uh, 2011. I uh, tried 
tried to play a little bit then, not particularly well. Yeah. Um, but I was having, struggling a little bit with my knee, so yeah. yeah, I knew then to 11 it was time to give up. And can you remember what was going through your head after you'd finished? Because a lot of people, a lot of sports people, you know, they suffer major depression because they go, well, God, this is what I've been doing since I've been like 14, 15, and now all of a sudden, uh, yeah, you know, I'm going to be doing long walks because I've got a dodgy knee or something else. You can't quite hit the same sort of athletic heights. So can you remember what you were thinking when you came off and it was all sort of done? I mean, it was a kind of... I was never going to make a big fanfare of me finishing. No. And... I knew it was kind of on the cards because I hurt my knee in, in 210 at the World Cup. Um, uh, and my, what I was doing in rugby never changed. So I was still coaching my club side, coaching Auckland level. So none of that had changed. It was just the 40 minutes on the field. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. Good, yeah. Things didn't really change. I was still working full time. Yeah. So it's. I don't think it's... For me, it was the low that some guys have, which they're just finished and they're totally cut off and they're not involved in the sport at all, and I think that's tough. Yeah. When you came off after your last Rugby World Cup final, did you know that that was it? You were kind of done with the Black Ferns or not? Or I knew that was my last World Cup, yeah. and I was pretty sure it was the last time I played for the Black Ferns. But um, and I made sure I enjoyed that World Cup too. <laughs> like I, I said hello to everybody. I talked. I finished the games, and I was still chatting. And my, the manager was always chasing me to get changed because we were leaving. And I just, I just wanted to soak up everything because the previous World Cups I'd it kind of been very focused. And yeah. this one, like I went away to two ten, not thinking I'd get much game time. Yeah. And that that changed. And I was just like, well, you know what? I'm going to have the best time of my life here. Yeah. I'm just going to enjoy everything. Yeah, and you did. Yeah, so in 2014, the IRB inducts you into the rugby, the World Rugby Hall of Fame. So so just for the listeners, so they've got some idea, that's before Richie McCall, before Brian Williams, before Botha, before Horan, before Larkin, or Sir Graham Henry. What's that like? Well... To be fair to Richie, you're not allowed to invite yeah, him when yeah. he's still playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he yeah. didn't really have much of a shot there. But yeah, it was it was kind of cool that they um, they inducted I think five of us um, uh, women at the same time, and it was and I was in a pretty special bunch um, of girls there, and I, th- I think I'm I'm inductee number eighty four, mm. um, which is nice to be in the t- in the double figures um, I remember singing with uh, Carol Ishwood and, and Jill Burns um, and getting thrown out of the hotel afterwards but yeah it was pretty cool Yeah, and the cool thing about that is there's actually been uh, a few more female players inducted as well, I was looking at a Canadian girl yesterday, I used to be a bobsledder as well, yeah, just, yeah, so there's some amazing stories there who was the rugby player you looked up to or tried to emulate when you started off playing? I didn't try to emulate anyone. Create it was just me. Yeah, you were, yeah, not wrong there. Right, so you coached the Hong Kong 17 for a number of years. Uh, what was that like? And was it, what was the work ethic like of the Hong Kong team compared to some of the New Zealand teams you've been with? Because, I mean, let's be honest, we've both played sort of festival football and I'm not saying that Hong Kong is festival football, but... There is a bit of a 
New Zealanders tend to be a, a lot more passionate about their rugby and a bit more structured and I think a bit more professional. The rest of the world's probably caught up, catching up to us or caught up to us now, but what was it like when you first got there? Was it a bit shambolic or not? Um, no, not at all. Uh, culturally, uh, Cantonese, very hardworking, yeah. very organised, very tick boxes. Yeah. Um, what they tend to lack is size yeah. and sometimes athletic ability. So um, I was working up in the Hong Kong Sports Institute, which is a pretty amazing place and it's got a lot of bells and whistles up there. They've got like decks and machines, hyperbaric chambers, yeah, you, you know, yeah. heat chambers, altitude chambers. That's an impressive place. Players very, very hard working. Yeah. Now you often say that the 2016 Rugby World Cup final was the best Rugby World Cup match that you were involved in. It was against England. 206. 206, sorry. My is bad. Right, 206, you're right. Now you talk about the competition and the fact that they were throwing everything at you and you had to take it on board and then you guys would strike back and everything else. You thrive better when you're in a competitive situation. When you were playing for the Black Ferns, and there were often times that you guys would play teams and you'd, let's be honest, you'd dick them by 40, 50 points. Uh, was it harder to get up for those games? I mean, because let's be honest, England has always been the rival of the Black Ferns, eh? Well, one of them anyway. Um, did you have any problems getting up for those the smaller teams that you were playing against? No, I, I always love playing. And it's always about the process. Like even if you're playing lesser teams, it was always about trying to be the best you can be. Yeah. And you've got to respect the other teams as well because, I mean, they are, they're there giving their all. Um, but definitely the harder the game, the more intense, the more fun I had. Yeah. It was, and that 2-6 final was awesome. Yeah. You know, because we, we weren't sure what the English were going to be like because they were shambolic in the semi-final against the Canadians. And they did. They nearly lost, and then they turned, fronted up, played, and they played awesome. Mm. Their backline, their forward pack was great, and it was like super cool. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it yeah. Was, it was awesome. Yeah, I was watching some of the game last night, looking at some of the hits and going, "Ooh, um, right now you are amongst other things now a women's rugby development manager um, at Auckland, but based with New Zealand rugby, is that correct?" NZRU um, finance yep. uh, 12 PUs around the country to have a academy, but we call it a high performance unit. Yep. Um, and in that high performance unit, you have your contracted black ferns, your high interest 15s and 7s players, and then anybody else you want to bring through in your PU, a right. provincial union. So you are basically meeting with all those players, setting goals for them, uh, doing all that type of stuff or not? Yeah, so um, I organise the providers. You know, we work under the six-pillar system where we're providing tactical, technical, medical, nutrition, mental skills and personal development. Yeah. And so I organise all that with uh, the players and the providers and then case manage all the girls as well. And then I've got to talk to the NZRU about their players. So it's, it's kind of fun. Girls are great. There's some wonderful players coming through. It's kind of very exciting. What's the biggest problem with modern day rugby players that's a tough one yeah they're at the moment i think they're caught between semi-professional uh, so i'm talking about 15s players like the yeah. sevens players at the moment are centrally based they're fully professional and they can just get on with it 
at the moment the Blackfins 15s players are contracted but they're not contracted to where they can necessarily give their job up yeah. so they're stuck between a rock and a hard place and that now they're expected to do uh, all this work but they still have to work and then yeah so it's it's a difficult time and I think that NZRU hopefully in the future will increase their contracts so they can actually live off them. Yeah how good does it make you feel though when you see black ferns on TV advertising stuff? I think it's great yeah. and, and there's some some sevens girls they've got like personal sponsorship for things and they're, and they're promoting stuff. I think it's great that they've finally been recognised as a source of sponsorship and promotion yep. from the the financial and the commercial sector. So I think it bodes well in the future. Yeah, and not, let's be honest, the skill level, like even in your days when we were taking you guys, some of you girls out to the schools and everything else, you were constantly overlooked, but all you had to do was do a scissor move or a pass that nobody was expecting. The next thing you know, everybody was like, holy crap, she's got some skills. It's like, oh, she is a black fern. And like, what? Yeah, so what's the best piece of advice that you could give to an upcoming rugby player, male or female, who is keen to go pro or semi-pro? So that 15 or 16-year-old probably sitting there going, I'm quite good. I've been picked for my school's first 15. Um, and they've just started to look at me for maybe a rep team. What advice would you give them? It's a good one. Um, I tell them that it's it's easy to be TID'd, but now you've got to work on that. Don't don't just rely on talent. Yeah. You've got to work hard. Communicate well. <laughs> yeah. Be on time. Yep. And when things go pear-shaped, because they always do, don't go quiet. Yeah. So always communicate, because that's always, half the problem I have is, and life's life, shit happens. Yeah. Just tell me when it happens so I know you're not going to miss it. Don't go quiet, because yep. then you're annoying me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't want to see an annoyed Anna just quietly. <laughs> right, here we go. What advice would you now, as a rugby coach, give to a 22 year old Anna Richards if she was playing in your team <laughs> you're amazing <laughs> no, I just I just keep on saying uh, back 22 work on your kick more Richards it's yeah. average <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah and just keep learning the game yeah. it's a craft and you can always improve, doesn't matter what it is. Yeah, not wrong. Okay, now, um, flicking through some of the comments that I've seen on Instagram and Twitter and a few other bits and pieces when you've popped up, the uh, Black Ferns did a then and now um, photo, one of which we used to promote the podcast. There were a few comments there that said, Anna's a legend. She was never sure on offering some referees some, some uh, advice on the odd occasion as well. Um, what was your most embarrassing moment on a rugby field? Can you remember? Embarrassing? Yep. Um, look, I suppose one would probably be getting a yellow card at the World Cup final in 210. But then my embarrassment levels came down after my captain got one as well. <laughs> yeah. So that was probably a big one. Another one was I was playing in Italy and Italians are reasonably fiery tempered and this girl latched on and was biting my arm quite severely at the bottom of a ruck 
and I had her in a chokehold, <laughs> and they had to pull me off her. So I didn't hit her, but yeah, yeah. I told her I was going to kill her. That's not bad. That's not bad. <laughs> right, now, I know, I warned you about this. I said to you I was going to get you to pick the best oh. 15, playing 15 for the Black Ferns from your era, and then, look, she's even got a notebook ready. Yeah, well, it, was, it was tough. I know, and then she was going to pick the best 15 from the All Blacks in the same era. So you want to, who you want to do, Ferns or uh, All Blacks first? <clears throat> so I'll, I'll go the Ferns okay. and i just premise this with, it was very hard because I played for the Black Ferns for 20 years. So yeah. I thought I'd have more more of a one where there were some good party girls in there as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. they won the football. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're very good footballers. Yeah, good work. So um, Tracy Waters. Yeah. Uh, prop, Fee Farmasili, um, Regina Sheck. You'll be familiar with Regina. Uh, good old Gina, yeah. Mona Lisa Codling. I'm familiar with Mona Lisa too as well, yeah. Obviously, I have to put my sister Fiona Richards <laughs> in there yeah. as the other lock. Melody Robinson. Yep. Rochelle Martin. Shannon Willoughby. Uh, or known as the Wildebeest. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Monique Hiravana. Obviously, I've got to put myself in there. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, yeah. Um, Vinnie Coots. Very good player. Susie Shortland. Mm-hmm. Annalia Rush. Another good player. Claire Richardson. There you go. Yep. And Tammy Wilson. Nice. Good work. So some great talent yep. in there and they're also... And to be fair, you, uh, like you said, you played for 20 years, so you've missed some amazing oh. players there as well. Yeah, you could, I struggled. Yeah, you could probably <laughs> do that three times over, to be yeah. fair. That was the calibre of, of the girls that were playing. Right, now you're all blacks from the same era. Yeah, so I'm going to go Olo Brown, because yeah. I used to have Muddy Waters with him up in <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rugby Club. Uh, Kevi Mialami. Good player, Carl Heyman. Yeah. Ian Jones. Brad Thorne, because no team is anything without Brad Thorne. No, not wrong. Uh, Michael Jones on the blind. Sir uh, Michael Jones, yep. Yeah, Sir Michael <laughs> yeah, Jones. Yeah. Richie on the open. Yep. And I always want an eight who can drop kick from halfway, Zinzan Brook. True story. The reason he can do that is because he, he used to play Gaelic football. That's all I'm saying, but carry yeah. on, yep. Um, Graham Bishop, great halfback. Uh, go Dan Carter, yep. 10. Jonah, one wing. Naturally. Uh, Ma'a Nonu. Yep. Frank Bunce. Only, you know, one, he's a great player, and two, I lived in his garage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. John Kewen on the other wing. There you go. And Christian Cullen, the mighty Christian, the, the mighty pie cockery he expressed Exactly, it yeah. So there you go. Two sirs, and the rest of them are pretty good blokes as well. So, 10 years from now. What does the state of women's rugby in New Zealand look like to you? If you had unlimited funding, you had... Because, I mean, there's been some exciting news in the last couple of weeks. We're going to get a Chiefs and a Blues game going on. Um, it's not unreasonable to think that, I don't know, maybe in the next three to five years we'll have a fully-fledged women's super rugby competition. Um, but what does it look like to you in 10 years' time? Unlimited funding unlimited resources, anything you want, how would you set it up? So I think we've got to expand our pathways a little more, so we've got to have some age grade players. um, So in the PUs at the moment you've got your 16s and your 18s, 
So I'd like to expand that into uh, under 19 and under 20 blues, yep. so franchise-based um, women's teams. And then obviously I'd like to expand that into that super rugby teams. And they play a competition here as well as Trans-Tasman. Mm-hmm. It'd look, be nice to involve the Aussies in there somewhere. Um, I'd like there to be a New Zealand 20s and a New Zealand schools. And I'd like there to be a World Cup 20s for the girls. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with the PUs and with the FPC, Far Palmer Cup, uh, we need more teams involved in that. So at the moment there's only 12 unions with women's sides, so I'd like to see more unions with women's teams in there that become part of the FPC. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, and to have better organised underage competitions, at the moment they're a little bit ad hoc. Yeah. So the under 16s might have a tournament, you know, a two day tournament, and that's tough. Yeah. All right, so last question for you. Well, two, second to last. In the last Rugby World Cup, we saw Japan basically go from being minnows, and let's be honest, they were four Rugby World Cups again. They turn up, and it was like, I wonder if we're going to put 100 on them or not. And now they've certainly stepped up. Who do you see, uh, because you've got your finger on the pulse better than most have for women's rugby, causing the biggest shock and surprise at the Women's Rugby World Cup? Oh, that's a tough one. I know, it's a tough one. Um... I don't think we'll have the big shock and surprise that the Japanese and that Japanese was thing was about twenty years in the making. Yeah, yeah, you exactly know, right. You yeah. Think back to ninety five when we beat them one hundred and thirty seven nil or yeah. something like that. So it took them a long time and an awful lot of money. Yeah. The minnows around the world don't have that money that the Japanese threw at their men's team. However, <laughs> um, I suppose. You know, you, can, you can't ever discount Fiji or Samoa, you know, there's a lot of natural talent there. I, I know that Fiji are throwing a bit more money at their 15s game, yep. so that may eventuate. Um, again, the qualification hasn't finished for the, the World Cup yeah. next year, so we'll see who actually qualifies in the last, last three places. Yeah, if and when those matches happen. Yeah. Here's open. Okay, right, so last question for you, and this is a question we always ask all our guests, and it's this. The day of reckoning has come for Anna Richards, and you are lying in your casket. Oh. But you can actually hear what everybody's saying about you. So, what would you like them to say about Anna Richards before everybody actually goes to the bar and starts drinking? Because, look, let's be honest, that's what Anna would do. But, yeah, so what would you, what, what would you like them to say about Anna Richards? Um, I suppose I'd like them to say that she was a good girl, <laughs> she was a good bastard, yeah. um, uh, nice person, um, teammate, and uh, just a hard worker. Boom. And that was Anna Richards, the rugby legend that was. Thank you very much for your time because I know you are flat tack doing all your stuff for uh, Auckland Rugby and beyond. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, like I said to Rochi, been trying for ages to get you to come on uh, so that people can get a little bit more aware of some of the amazing stuff that you've done and I think probably the Sky Sports Almanac nailed it best. What year were you the Sky Sports Almanac Rugby Player of the Year? Can you remember? 2004 
four maybe I think we used four to have, or five, yeah so. yeah um, but the it always sticks with me it says that you know if Anna Richards was a man and she was walking down the street she would be mobbed and idolized very much like Jana Lomu was uh, so if you have no idea who Anna is go and have a look on YouTube watch some of that it's not quite grainy footage yet uh, yeah. yeah no it isn't it's not that bad but go and watch some of the footage and see some of the amazing things that the black ferns have done um, and more importantly make sure that you support the black ferns as well because probably more than the all blacks and more than some of the other teams they need the crowds and the people coming in to watch their games so that the rugby union gets the fact that women's rugby is important for everybody as well thank you Anna. Cappuccino with Constable Brian. Real people, real stories. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss his next podcast.